Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, filmmaking freedom for the independent. This episode is sponsored by the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It's available in paperback, as a Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. In fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com and sign up with Audible for the first 30 days. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. Today's episode is entitled, How to Find the Concept for Your Next Movie with Brooks Elms, Part 1. This is actually a continuation of episodes number 111 and 112, which was entitled, What If Your Script Sucks? The idea was to try to implement Pixar's process of story development with the use of their brain trust sessions. Again, if you're not familiar with the Pixar brain trust sessions, they essentially allow whoever the lead is on that particular story to present it to the other creative leads to generate feedback and brainstorming. But it's different than a screenwriter presenting the latest draft to a studio and having the suits and the lawyers and the marketers, etc. give notes on the script. And then that screenwriter having to try and incorporate all those notes. But with Pixar, if you're presenting your story idea, you would have John Lasseter, director of Toy Story and the founder of Pixar, listening in, as well as Andrew Stanton, um, the writer and director of Finding Nemo and WALL-E. He'll be there, as well as Brad Bird, the writer-director of Incredibles, Iron Giant, and Pete Docter, writer and director of Monsters, Inc., Up and Inside Out. So you would have all these heavyweights, and there's no hierarchy. I mean, everyone is there to help tell a better story. And there is candid, open discussions of what's working and what's not working with your story. But here's the kicker. You as a story lead don't have to incorporate any of the feedback from those sessions. But hopefully the process in openly discussing your story with the masters at the craft, you'll discover and be inspired to fix what needs to be fixing. So back in episodes number 111 and 112, I shared my latest script with you, with the Film Trooper audience. And I actually created an audio performance of it with sound effects and music. That way you you didn't have to read it. And then I held my own version of the Brain Trust Group with some of my fellow podcasters. Well, I was approached by my past guest, Brooks Elms, who back in episode number 104, entitled How to Sell Your Script, offered to help me rework my overall concept. Now, Brooks and I discussed how he sold a script to Gold Circle. They produced My Big Fat Greek Wedding and many other films. Anyhow, since Brooks has been working with me, he sold another script. Now, Brooks listened in on my brain trust session and he identified that I may need to go back to the concepting stage. And Brooks offers script consultation and teaches occasionally at UCLA. So in this episode, you'll get to hear how one of his consulting sessions work and you see how you can apply his teachings to finding your next movie concept or just hire him yourself. (laughs) And I'll supply all that info at the end of the episode. Anyway, what you'll hear is how he needs me to list and talk about five of my favorite films and then why I love them. Then he helps identify what made those films unique in their concepts. Then I needed to provide him three films that most relate to the kind of film I'm trying to make and we discuss and analyze why those films work or don't work. But at the end of my session with Brooks, I actually take what he asked me to do and present my work back to my brain trust. So you'll hear that in this episode as well. Now, this is part one of finding your next movie concept. In part two, you'll hear how taking the brainstorming of ideas and how to identify which concepts are worth pursuing. I personally love episodes like this, you know, podcast episodes like this, because they act like a case study of the creative process. And by applying some techniques like the ones Brooks Elms will show us, it helps demystify the process and make it more tangible and make it more like work, but work you love to do. Anyhow, I hope you get a lot of value out of these next two episodes. And if you haven't listened into episodes number 111 and 112, I recommend going back to them in order to have a better context of what is being discussed in today's episode. So without further ado, here is my returning guest, screenwriter and filmmaker Brooks Elms, here on the Film Trooper Podcast. Uh, g- general context, uh, you know, I, I, I listened to... Uh, some of the presentation of the script, so I have a sense of, of what your original idea was. Uh, I listened to the, uh, the the Brain Trust podcast, and uh, and I liked uh, what those guys were saying in general. Um, and I think it, you know, and I think the the, the opportunities for you um, 
are, are, are pretty significant if you kind of, you know, as you're planning to do anyway, just kind of step back a little bit and kind of, you know, rethink it from so the conceptual level and then kind of rebuild it back upward because it's a, uh, this is a commonly overlooked opportunity, uh, that, that concept level. And, and look, there's a lot of really great movies that have kind of a soft uh, concept. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, you know, but if you start with a really sharp concept that's, that, uh, that's really kind of in its essence is really intriguing, everything else gets uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit less difficult from there, there on. Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, so that's what I'm thinking. And uh, so I, I, I think the first step um, that might be helpful uh, is to kind of get in there and, and define your sensibility and, and your sort of your, your unique view of what's great. Because, you know, there's, there's what critics think in general. There's what, uh, you know, what the box office says. But uh, each individual has a different sense of what really drives them crazy in a good way, you know, right, right. Uh, in, in a bad way, you know. And so I think uh, getting into that a little bit, having discussion about that, and kind of uh, might help you sort of get, get your sort of creative tuning fork uh, cleaned up so that you get, get a, a, a deeper sense of what, or at least a more present sense of what really turns you on as, as, as a person and as, as, a, as, as a filmmaker. So, um, so to do that, it, it helps to, to talk about you know, your favorite movies. And, and okay. so first, if we could talk about uh, five of your favorite movies of all time. Uh, and then, uh, and then you know, we'll, 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 you know, you tell me one. We'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll go down the list to the five, and then and then we can we can move on from there. Do you want me uh, say all five, or just go one at a time? Let's let's do one at a time, okay. and then actually, you know what? Do, no, I'm sorry. Do all five, so so there's a general kind of sense because you know there's something really interesting, and I want to do this experiment uh, online someday. I haven't yet. I want to kind of. I want to put out my 10 favorite films of all time and see if there's anybody on the planet that has the exact same 10. Oh, I'm, I'm interesting. Almost certain that's not the case, but does, does somebody have five out of my top 10? I don't know. Um, and if they have five out of my 10, is the order anyway? Because I think there's something about, again, your favorite movies of all time that really speak very deeply to your sensibility. So anyway, so yeah, so give me your five in general and then we'll go one by one and kind of get a sense of what really is special about those films for you. Yeah, so these are five, like say favorite, but they're favorites because I'll rewatch them over and over and still get enjoyment out of them. So Jaws, Rudy, Mm -hmm. Amadeus, Somewhere in Time, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Excellent. So, uh, Interesting. So the, the, my first thought in general is, so Jaws is 70s, Rudy was 80s, Amadeus is 80s, somewhere in time, was that early 80s, like 81 or something? Yeah, Rudy's in the 90s, like early 90s, but right. Oh, it was the early 90s, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, that's right. And then, uh, and somewhere in time was early 80s? Yes. And then, uh, and then, and then uh, 2001, I think is 68. Exactly. Um, so it's interesting. So that's, uh, so it's a lot of, uh, you know, older movies, uh, uh, so that's, you know, that that's interesting. Good. Um, all right, let's go back to Jaws, which, by the way, is still my favorite Spielberg film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but what do you what do you like about Jaws? Why is this on your list? I think it's the adventure. I think there's there's this. Uh, it de- it never felt like a traditional sort of horror horror film or like this thriller film. I mean, there is this innate you know fear of the water and the sharks and and so on. And and I grew up surfing, so that was always you know top of mind you know this the real life predator that's a real you know that exists but that's wasn't the whole thing the characters themselves i think you know i think what it is is that i didn't really understand why i loved jaws until i saw um jj abrams tedx talk or ted talk where he talked about like the the magic box or the mystery box that is yep. like his uncle or his grandfather gave him but he had this sm- sm- small snippet where he was explaining what jaws was where like we all see it as this uh, story about a, uh, a man eating shark and we always remember the scene of the girl you know skinny dipping at night getting you know killed in the opening sequence and that sets yeah. off what we think jaws is but he says what really the story is about is about this man dealing with his masculinity and his, you know um 
overcoming his fears for his family and the town that he is, is supposed to protect in terms of Sheriff Brody. And he says that one of the greatest scenes that he shows is the one after he gets slapped in the face by the, the woman of the boy who was killed, and he knew about this, and he's drinking his worry, you know, his 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 disappointment in himself at the dinner table, and he has a small moment with his son where they just mimic each other. And it's just, and yeah. that's where he said, that's what the movie is. And I never really understood that until I saw, you know, and I realized, I think that's probably why I love Jaws. There's, there's layers of the need for all of us to overcome um, fear and, and having that ability to do it. So in an adventure and having to do that high adventure and have it against a true monster, you know, I think uh, it, there's just so many elements to it that just bring you back to um, that movie over and over again. And it's interesting, they, they had a rebroadcast or they put it in the theaters last summer and I was able to take my daughter to it. You know, she never saw it, you know, seen the movie in the big screen before. But yeah. after she saw that movie, you know, she was spent the most of the summer walking around in this uh, shark outfit that she picked up at Target. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think, uh, there, I think that's what resonates. When I look back, I know... I can go back to it over and over again because there's such great characters. There's, um, I mean, how can you not love, you know, Captain Quint? You know, it's just like everybody lives for those moments of, you know, uh, of this, of the, the one-off of like what scars that, you know, um, Hooper and Quint have. And it, it's such a brilliant, you know, antagonistic, fun uh, scene, and then he gets into the whole thing about the, um, the World War II uh, ship that was bombed, and all all the, all the men were being uh, attacked by sharks. Like those things are so layered with such uh, just interesting and dramatic fashion. Um, and like I said, there's just so many things about that film that you could you, know, you could take away from it. Obviously, the music, the suspense, and yeah. so on. But I think that's what it is: is an appreciation for just like. Uh, even today, even though the shark is like campy and really rubbery and stuff like that, the the raw elements of what make that make that film work still work, and I I, I just love it for all that. Excellent. So so good. So that's that, that's great, and I can hear the energy and and, and love uh, when, when talking about all those different elements. So then, the the but the, the million dollar question is um, how how was it the same but different, right? Because that's what really makes something. Uh, I think really cut through the clutter. If it's too different, it's kind of too crazy and people kind of dismiss it. If it's too same, people are like, oh, it's a hack job. We've seen that a million times. When something threads the needle in a really special way of the same but different, um, uh, almost every popular movie is threading that needle in some way. Mm-hmm. So uh, so out of all the things you mentioned, or maybe something different, what's if you had to say one thing, maybe two of what was at the, at the time it came out, the same but different, what, what might you say? Well, I mean, when I first saw it as three years old and stuff like that, I think there is um, a, a connection to the shark. I mean, I, I remember coming from that and drawing the shark. So there's, even though we know it's a threat, there's still sort of this projection of uh, something so powerful that, you know, uh, I mean, as kids, we would play jaws in the pool like you know each person each kid got a chance to play the shark and there was this this empowerment for young people to be like i get to play this you know killer shark and tag my friends and whatever that in the pool so i think that might be something different because like the exorcist like like the exorcist and other like horror type films of that genre or that that time you know i don't think a lot of people were thinking like i want to be you know, the villain, not until like really, you know, Mike Myers and, and those you know, slasher films came out that they became the sort of this sick fantasy to be sort of the villain. But there was sort of something compelling that was a more organic and natural to feel uh, connected to the shark. Right. I, 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 I think that's probably why maybe there was something di- a little bit different of what, what made Jaws work, the first one anyway. That's good. I, I think it's great. I think, and I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. So, so it's essentially, it was a monster that we hadn't quite seen, and it turned out to be an iconic monster mm-hmm. that they they did then try to knock off. There was Piranha, and then there was Mako, the Deep. Yeah. And there yeah. was, you know, so they basically did, you know, things that were, and some of those were successful to some extent or another, but they certainly weren't an outlier, amazing, uh, breaking new ground success like Jaws, which mm-hmm. was. Uh, basically, a, a, an iconic new monster. Yes. Okay? So that's yes. uh, 
so if we have to say one amazing thing that really made it st- stick out, let's let's think of it that way. I think yeah, that's I like that's that. going to be very in- instructive for you uh, when. when when thinking about your own concept. Okay, let's go down to the next on the list. That's Rudy. Tell me, <laughs> so, which, which I think is an interesting uh, choice because, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, at least from my perspective, there's, there's, there's a lot of movies in that sort of underdog sports genre, certainly mm-hmm. Rocky and uh, Karate Kid. Um, but Rudy comes a little bit later uh, in the in series uh, of, of, of those sorts of movies. Why, why does that one stick out to you as a favorite? Um. I mean, it's, you know, based on a true story, but I just think that a lot of it too, like all this stuff has like amazing music underneath it. So you have Jaws, obviously iconic, you know, soundtrack and Rudy has such one, I think Jerry Goldsmith's one of his best soundtracks. And, but it's such the underdog because it's like his accomplishments are not to like win the national championship. It's such a small victory in terms of a, the bigger picture of things but knowing how that fits into his world it's so emotionally um moving that um you know it's one of those films that it's a common thing uh, between rudy and like shawshank redemption it's pretty commonplace to f- uh, meet other men that watch these movies and go oh yeah i cry all the time like rudy's like a film that most men cry at or shawshank redemption is like a film that most men cry at and um I, don't, I, I love the fact that a film can have that sort of transformative impact, and I, I, that's why I put Rudy in there, because I, I get a kick out of it. I, I get a kick out of watching it over again, just like the, the layers of t- uh, timelessness of the 70s, um, you know, in Indiana with the, the fall colors, you know, the, 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 just the struggle to, to, play, to play this game and how they glorify, glorified sort of the big... Uh, college sport with those gold helmets and the the early morning you know sun and the mist and the, the dawn and just like the, just just it was just captured really beautifully and I think um, there's such a small personal story within all that stuff in this in this grand scheme of thing because at the time you know Notre Dame was like considered like the the best of the best of college football it was like very religious my my I think also there's a connection to my father my father's you know grew up. Uh, last name McMahon, an Irish Catholic, you know, family in um, uh, New York, and the, uh, the Fighting Irish. When he, that's why I remember hearing him talking about it's like, the only college team that he would talk about. So there's a sort of a connection there, um, and seeing this small story happen. So I think that's what resonates so much with me, other than like a Rocky or, you know, uh, other other sports films. Got it. So um, uh, again, I'm hearing I'm hearing the passion behind the, the main elements and and what. Uh, and what really makes you feel connected to it. So if you had to boil it down to one thing that was the same but different about Rudy, what, what, what might that be from your perspective? I think it's the um, something that might seem like a small uh, act or a small victory with such a large victory for, for, the, for the, the story of that family, um, you know, and I think that because where Rocky was big, where he was ch- challenging the champion of the world, he becomes a champion of the world. Um, you know, we're trying to think of some of the other uh, sports films, like everything hinged on like a championship. I love the fact yeah. that this was small, like there was a small yeah. moment, but these small moments meant something. And I think that's yeah. the difference. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll say something that, that I think is, uh, I, I think you're onto something there, that there's something about it being a true story and it not being about winning the big game. It's really about him, him playing. So, so, it's a, so the goal is, is there's, a, there's a groundedness and a reality to it that I think people really, it's a palpable goal that people can relate to a little bit more than, you know, an underdog boxer fighting the heavyweight champ. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think one of the interesting elements of, of the original Rocky that actually made it really resonate is that he, he doesn't beat Creed. He right. gets to the, the, the end of the second act and, and he's studying that tape of Creed and he goes, I can't beat him. He's, he's too good. But if I can hang in there, then I have a sense of dignity uh, about myself. I will have, you know, if I can get in there and, and not have him knock me out, if I can go the distance with a champ, that's the, that's the thing. So, uh, so I think there's there's a similar similarity between those two things, but I, but but I'm hearing that you were drawn to I think the groundedness to it, and I would also say uh, it being uh, you know a college football story. Is, yeah. is, so it was 
it was a college football story, but not about winning the national championship, uh, but it's about one particular player with a very sort of grounded, uh, compelling goal that makes that film stand out. Does there that, you that go. sound about right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Cool. All right, Amadeus. <laughs> I think Amadeus is there's this aspect of the musicality. It's like, it's sort of like, an, I know it comes from a play, but it's just such an opera for me when I watch that film. And just, um, just as I think that the, the uh, Salieri's character, just the the need to to be good, but really realizing that he doesn't have the talent as someone that you know God has gifted this other person that he sees as unfit. You know, I think that's such a such an amazing sort of uh, take on that story. You know, obviously maybe not historically correct, but as a storytelling aspect of it, it just. Uh, I just love the ride. I love when I look at that, when I look at that film, I realize like, you know, Ahmet Mozart was, he was a film director of his day, you know, creating stories and operas, you know, because that was the medium, you know, a visual and, you know, musically and everything like that. So he kind of lived that rock star life and just, it's sort of just, I don't know. It, it was one of those films because of the music, because of the dynamic of the protagonist not being sort of this heroic sort of autobiography. I think I, that's the, the twist that we see a lot of, you know, musical autobiographies or, or not autobiographies, but biographies that, that we see in the, in this sort of genre to have the the aspect of the villain's point of view you know, this flawed character, this flawed protagonist. I thought that was fantastic. And it, it did. It transported you to another world and made me as a young person appreciate uh, Mozart or the classical music more so than I ever thought I would. Got it. All right, good. So um, uh, one quick thought, and then, and then we'll ask the same but different question. But uh, would, you, would you think you could almost say that's a reverse underdog uh, movie? Like you have an underdog who's not getting the credit he deserves, and instead of him sort of overcoming his challenge, he tries to take down the alpha dog. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, but it, but it, but the seed of it's kind of the same. It's a guy who wants something so badly uh, that he's willing to kind of do anything to get it, and his way is is kind of you know is the dark hero way to do right, it. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, so, that's uh, the twist. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I mean, so would you? Uh, I, I'm not so sure that is the same but different. I mean, that's more of sort of a plot, uh, kind of a uh, sort of a character arc plot thing. Uh, sort of, uh, I'm not sure as sort of a movie package, that's what makes it the same but different. As a, I mean, as a concept, we're really talking about it's like a biopic of 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 Amadeus and his adversary. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 yeah, there was something really compelling. About it. I mean, if, so if you had if you had to say uh, as a concept as a package. Um, uh, what would make it the same but different? I guess that I mean I I don't know if I guess it would be like I'm gonna I'm gonna sh- I want to make this movie about the life of Amadeus Mozart, but told from the perspective of his adversary that that eventually feels like he you know caused the uh, death of his you know his rival you know so that's so, like so, yeah so it's the, so it's the flip of a biopic and if, if, yeah. instead of doing the biopic. Straight from the thing you're doing the biopic from the, from the antagonist. Uh, right. Good. Uh, I think that's pretty that's pretty clean, and I, and I think that was probably pretty fresh when that came out. Um, uh, uh, nice. Good. All right. Uh, Charlie, we're gonna get this mo- moving along here. Uh, somewhere in time. Tell me. Tell me what you love about that. You know what? I never thought I'd. Um, there's like a cult movement for that film in terms of like. There's something spiritual. There's something you know transformative about this fantasy concept of uh, being lost in time or other dimensions like or you know two people unable to connect in this physical space but they're eventually they're able to commit um, and com- uh, uh, can get together in another plane in the in the astral plane heaven plane whatever it might be but there's that whole adventure of going back in time to then find you know, the love of your life now I saw it as a young you know, kid, just because I thought I was only watching because of Superman. <laughs> that was it. Right. But it, it turned me on to this whole world of like, wow, th- this this story com- like was very compelling. 
and it wasn't sappy, you know, it wasn't like a chick flick type thing. I mean, I guess it could be, but at the for a young person, there's so many things layered in that. And I, and I love sort of that Twilight Zone aspect, but it had such um, emotional impact. And so that's how, that's what I take away from that film that still resonates with me today. Nice. So uh, what's the same but different about it, you think, in terms of what made it Stick out at well, the time. At the time, I don't think I, I, I don't think anybody had seen a um, a love story um, that dealt with time travel. You yep. know, I think later on we would see like the uh, time traveler's wife or something or something like that. But um, and more time travel movies coming out after that. But this one, I, I can't think of it prior to 1982 or whenever this thing came out. Um, if there was ever like a movie that really dealt with sort of this concept of uh, time travel and especially layered in the context of a love story. But on top of that, again, you're being transported to a, sort of the Norman Rockwell or this, um, not even prior to that, sort of this Americana um, time. So it's timeless. So Amadeus is like another world, you know, another time that was just, that it was done romantically. Um, you know, Rudy was done, you know, during the 70s. How, like I said, it encapsulates the college football experience of a time when Notre Dame was the, you know, the, the most revered college uh, for football uh, at that time. And Somewhere in Time has that aspect of it going back to uh, Chicago area uh, along the lakes during, you know, the turn of the century. So it was this timeless feel, like they're going on this journey and time travel allowed you to do that. So I think that was... Um, one of the other aspects was so uh, attractive about that film. Nice. Uh, so uh, I, I think I think what you said right up front really kind of encapsulates it. I think it was uh, it was a time travel love story, and as a concept, that that really did stick out. And yeah. Kind of uh, the first of a kind. Great. Okay. Let's go on to uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah, well, that one, obviously, it's on top of the list for so many filmmakers or film lovers and things like that. And it it's just, you know, repeated viewing. There's just so many things that else that layers upon layers that come out of that movie. I think I watched it, you know, first time as a young person, but really just saying, well, that was pretty trippy. But the uh, maybe thinking that it, um, you know, should be, it, it just moved at a different uh, pace. But when I got older, I saw the, I just fell in love with it over and over time about, just simplistic, I guess simply the element of showing the dawn of man and that great edit of the bone being thrown up and then cutting to the satellite and showing where man had evolved to. And then ending the movie, at least how I saw it, was the next step of evolution, which is the star child. And to me, in all the other aspects of it, like just this fascination with space, again, like a timeless concept of going outside of our world, the, the, the sense of the explorer, um, and then, and seeing that there's something more, um, spiritual or something more transformative in a sense, like where are we going to in terms of the next step of evolution? I thought I just, you know, there's just so much. And again, music just plays a huge part of it. It just sweeps through that whole, uh, movie. And there's not, you know, I'm sure there's enough essays done on this movie than more I can, you know, did a much better job than I could sum it up. But for me personally, I really enjoyed the bigger picture, this bigger, deeper thought of like, where does man go in terms of the next step of evolution? I, I think that's great. Okay, uh, and Kubrick's my, my favorite filmmaker, by the way. Oh. So, uh, excellent. Um, uh, w- how is it the same but different? Well, you know, we're talking 68, so, you know, this is the height of the space race. We haven't gone to the moon yet, so it was one of those things where we hadn't seen space portrayed like this historically ever in a, a cinematic epic, <laughs> you know? So it's it, it's it's... There's really nothing. It is. It's right in the title. It's like here it is. This is a space odyssey, and you're gonna sit back and and the fact that it's still timeless. They just had a re-showing up here in Portland, uh, like a 75 millimeter. I think whatever. It's like a the big. They brought it out, and it was uh, it was sold out. And people, you know, there's still something to be said about this film. And and all these films that I listed, to me, they're timeless. And and I I love the aspect of a film that is timeless. Yeah, what, what, but what, what, and it's there's there's something interesting about that though is that what 
I think an aspect of what makes these things timeless is that they took their genre and they put a fresh twist on it in, mm-hmm. in the time, and then it sears into the collective consciousness, and it makes it feel timeless. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, it, but I think there's a significance about that, that if you, as a screenwriter, are picking something that's not just as good as what's already out there, but it's taking it a step forward. If there's some element or, or mix of elements that's, that, at least in your particular view, is like these things you love, but one step better, that quality... Um, almost makes it timeless, I think contributes to a sense of timelessness, and it's why some of these things really, you know, hold up after years. So, um, yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, 2001 is, is, is spectacular. Um, uh, let's, because we're running a little low on time, let's, let's mm-hmm. move on to uh, I, uh, your, your, the, the favorite horror films that are similar in genre to what you're thinking about doing next. Sure. I wrote down Poltergeist, the original um, the uh, the eighty eighty two version, um, the remake um really missed the mark on that. Uh, in Insid- the Insid- I said Insidious, but I kind of put Insidious trilogy because actually I think Chapter One and Chapter Two are like one movie, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then uh the Conjuring, obviously that's sort of the the tone. Um, so those are the three movies I put down. Great. So let's go let's go right to the chase with these Poltergeist. What do you think is the same but different? Uh, of all the genres, uh, of of what uh, what made it stood out in what, all. Yeah, when Poltergeist stood out, what as a concept, what made that kind of different and, and special? Well, again, being like a Spielberg project, it was it wasn't like a straight down the line horror film because you know of that time, you know we were sort of coming out of the collective. Uh, bastardization of all the films following Halloween. So we had like sort of this slasher horror film. So here was this g- basically paranormal ghost film and dealing with the, the concept of paranormal and really just a, a more glorified um, expansion of that Twilight Zone episode, Little Lost Girl, you know, and yeah. and so there's an adventure, there's there's repeat viewing aspects to it because it's dealing with the bigger question. Of what happens right. to to us um, when we pass away, and and what is it? You know, there's all these just fun aspects of of the discovery of the ghost, and then it turns you know um, darker. Um, yes, so that that, that for Poltergeist for me, that was the difference of, of the time. How how about this? How about um, it, uh, it, it was uh, a haunting in suburbia yes. through the TV. Right. Yeah, yes. So we hadn't quite seen, but like I, I, I just looked at the trailer uh, recently, and the trailer is talking like in this one house that's similar to all the other houses. You yeah. know, there was a sense of suburbia, and 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 to have a scary story in suburbia was kind of we hadn't seen that yet. Right? That's true. And that's then, true. Uh, and then the and then TV and and you know has that sense of commercialism and, and sameness. Uh, I think it came out of that in a sense of. Uh, the you know, the monster we had seen it was a haunting it was ghosts that sort of thing but the house was kind of different because it was a, an aspect of suburbia and sameness where there was beginning to be a real sort of rebelliousness and, and sort of unease, uneasiness with suburbia right and, and there's the within suburbia is really the family the, the sort of the nuclear family because prior right. to that we've seen just basically a lot of teenagers being you know chopped off so um, even like. Jaws 2 was like a play on, you know, attacking all the teenagers. So right. uh, Poltergeist was brought it back to like suburbia and family and a family dealing with, um, you know, this uh, this threat. And uh, yeah, that I think that was at the time it was different. Nice. I think it's great. And so one quick review before we do the last two is that as we're getting into these, uh, you know, we're talking about these movies and how, how much you love them and how they c- c- stood out. We're really talking about some sort of some bigger themes, you know, bigger themes, bigger ideas. How does it kind of uh, advance the collective conversation? How does it take things further? So these are really important questions to ask when you're in the concepting phase of a new script. Right. Because you want something that, uh, again, it's, it's hard enough to do something that's like as good as what's already out there. But, um, but you really want you have the opportunity to try to take it another step and at least have a defensible position for you personally and say, look, I personally think this movie is 
not only as good as what's out there because of X, Y, and Z, but I think it's one step better. It's like this, but it's different in this way. Either the monster's different or the setting's different or something is different that makes it really fresh and cool. So that's kind of what we're going for. That's why we're reviewing. So I just wanted to make sure that was clear, uh, other than talking about movies, which is really fun. Okay, <laughs> so uh, let, let's, get, let's get to Insidious. What, why do you think Insidious was the same but different? Um, well, James... How do I say? Like when I first saw it, like you know, it was sort of advertised. It just looked like another. I don't know. There's because horror films at this particular time, there's just so many of them. (laughs) So it's very hard. So until I sat down actually and watched it, I was again the the trailer didn't sell it for me. It was just taking the time to actually sit down and watch it. Um, And actually, I watched it because I had seen The Conjuring. And was surprised because uh, the trailer for The Conjuring I really enjoyed. I go, wow, there's something uh, t- um, again timeless or uh, retro about this this presentation of the trailer. So I enjoyed yeah. The Conjuring so much that it made me go back and look at James Wan's work, and then it, it forced me to like look at Insidious. And when I saw Insidious, I was like, wow, this is really amazing in terms of the the again, it's suburbia, it's a family dealing with it's it's like the next level it's like taking poltergeist but taking the next level of horror because the visuals that he puts in and like i i hate mannequins so the way he puts sort of this this dead look and like mike myers was one of the the the, the, i was so afraid as a young kid of that character so like again the dead face the uncanny valley of these these characters so the visuals that he threw in there um just exhilarated me. Um, but the, the kicker for Insidious when I saw that film was this aspect uh, that Lee, his writing partner, Lee Walnall, I think it's his last name, um, the, the aspect of the further. So this, this astral projection. And growing up, yeah. um, you know, hearing my pa- parents talk about certain things like that, you know, knowing, being aware of like different planes of existence or that kind of thing, um, that was an aspect I go, oh, that's neat. So it's not just like a possessive demon that in the, and just kind of written off like, you know, half cock. It's there is some deeper thought put into what is what does this mean the further? What does it mean when somebody from the physical world connects with somebody on the other side? You know, what are you inviting in and what does that look like? So uh, all that stuff really resonated with me in terms of. So, so then l- let me ask you this, uh, because it, it is in the this line is in the trailer. And I think it actually might speak to sort of the, 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 the same but differentness of, of this movie. The line is, it's not the house that's haunted. It's mm-hmm. your son. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And now, you know, we've seen, you know, Damien from The Omen and, and, and Exorcist. So we've seen haunted kids before. But, um, but you know, in a sense, it was almost uh, a throwback to that sort of sub-genre. And I think that, and I think then what you're saying is that the son, it wasn't the, 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 a devil or a demon like it was in The Exorcist, but it was this uh, uh, sort of other world, this, the, the further, this place. And that kind of, and then it was a fairly heady but but kind of logical uh backstory and mythology right yeah so uh uh you know so i think as a concept it's actually um it, it's good but it's not quite great in, in a way i think that some of these others are yeah um and i think that i think it was directed really well uh and i think he the director had to do more heavy lifting than than the screenwriter um but uh but the what I think, uh, my, my view is, is, is it, it was kind of a shift from not the house, but the, the sun, and then the sun was, uh, uh, you know, dealing with this, this sort of otherworldly, uh, was actually a portal almost, you know, for, mm-hmm. for, for the monster to come in. So it was a bit of a twist on the monster, um, uh, yeah. yeah, monster yeah. and location in a sense. So that's that. And then The Conjuring, uh, I would say, um, uh, you know, Again, fairly fairly subtle in terms of uh, not breaking too new ground uh, as a concept, but it was. But I think the '70s period was 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 a little different. Uh, it was a true story, which you've heard a lot, but it was it was there was something about the the sort of com, com, commitment to the true story and and the, you know those main characters and them being kind of the famous the most famous ghost hunters. Um, so it really it, it did put a, a, a new spin on the haunted house genre, but um, but it was a fairly subtle spin i think as yeah. far as concepts go um but it, it was a little different so i, I again i think 
uh, anyway, so that, that's my take on that. So uh, with that being said, it's all sort of a groundwork and a sort of just to get your mind going on, A, what you love most, uh, what, uh, and then B, what you kind of want to do with your thing. Um, uh, let, t- tell, me, tell me where you're at with the kernel of the idea after all the work you did originally and the, and the, and the comments you got from the Brain Trust and what you've been thinking about since then. Tell, tell me about the, the, the kernel of the idea that you're, you're thinking about right now. Well, it all stems with this concept uh, of a little girl that has connected to... Um, it, it went for a lot of different iterations. The first one was that she... I kind of want to deal with this like concept of the guardian angel. Like, you know, we have this a good entity. Like, what does that look like? And if you could have connection, a direct connection with this guardian angel, as so as opposed to it's like more mysterious. And then as put when you're being attacked by something of the other side that is more um, insidious or demonic in nature. Um, with insidious, you know, they kind of went in. They'd never been there before, but they had to fight their way out. Um, with poltergeist, it was again a more uh, exaggerated. It was a more enhanced version of the Twilight Zone's lost little girl. Um, you know, in the Conjuring, they were being. It was again a family unit being attacked or by this. You know, the the demonic forces and and things like that. But I I, I kind of wanted to see take the next step further. If if as somebody from the physical plane goes into the other world with backup like that's what my friend alex was saying it's like if you knew that you had this special connection to a sort of guardian angel type thing uh entity uh or you're a relative and you could come into the um the underworld or the other world and do battle to accept to some extent with a, a demonic force what what would that look like so I'm, I, I just want to kind of take it the next step um, when I'm inspired by all these things. And the bigger question, which is like when I mentioned somewhere in time in 2001, is, you know, what, is, what does that look like? You know, and how, how rooted in science or like, you know, f- I don't know, realistic concepts could that look, be like as opposed to being completely fantasy-based? So that's where, that's the kernel I've got going right now. Got it. Okay, good. So, uh, yeah, I heard. Yeah, I heard that from the brain trust, and I and I thought, uh, and I think that is a cool element. The idea of having uh, an ally, you know, is the kind of the word they might use in storytelling, uh, you know, circles. Right, an right. ally that's that's a guardian angel. That, that's great. The the, the 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 problem is that um, is that that's that's a fairly minor element, right? Because you uh, the guardian. I mean, unless the guardian angel is the protagonist, and then you're kind of, you know, you're kind of thinking of a concept. Um, you know, uh, you know. I mean, that's that's kind of a different way to go. But when you, but when when you're concepting the uh, the ultimately, you, you want to get to a point where you have your protagonist. Who, who's it about? And it could be the family, or it could be you know somebody in the family, or mm-hmm. it could be teens, or whatever. Um, and then you have the monster, and then you have the house. Right, those are the three main elements. Plus, there's sin. Right. Yeah. Uh, with Jaws, the sin was they, they didn't want to close the beach, even though they knew there was this monster in the water. Uh, they, it was the summer season; they needed money, you know. And, and so, for, for, it's understandable, but it was still greed, um, and that led to, to, to the monster basically being unleashed. Yeah. Um, so, so you really want to concept uh, with those four sort of elements in mind: uh, a, a house, uh, an interesting monster, uh, who the who the the protagonist is, and then a sin that, that unleashes the, the monster. And, then, and it, I don't think the, 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 the protagonist doesn't necessarily have to directly unleash the, the, uh, the beast, but yeah. there has to be sort of significant involvement, you know. Um, so those are the kind of things that uh, I would invite you to kind of play with. Um, and I think your kernel is fine as an element, but it's 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 not enough to kind of really build a house on. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's like it's like a really cool part of your house, but uh, but I would start playing with different ideas that are kind of uh, playing with twists on those four main building blocks. You know, what mm-hmm. if you know what if the protagonist was this, or what if it was that? What if the monster was more like this, or more like that? You know, what if the house was you know in in the uh, you know, in, in the snowy wilderness of Alaska or whatever. Oh, one other thought, because you're thinking of, uh, of doing this in 
you know, you know, where you, you know, on your own, making it yourself with your own resources, I would seriously think about any sort of local uh, traditions or settings or places. If there is there like a particularly interesting and distinct warehouse or or uh, some sort of location that's distinct to that particular region, um, that's a, that's another way to kind of give something a real distinct flair. Mm-hmm. Um, or a legend that happens kind of around there, and, and, and maybe it's, it's your it's your city, or it's you know in your family or your past or something. But um, something like that is a way to kind of find uh, a, a real distinguishing uh, a way to distinguish the concept. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that's probably a pretty good uh, stopping point for now. And then I and I would I would invite you to kind of play, play with it. Um, you know, try to come up with a few different concepts. Maybe with three to five would probably be enough. And then, uh, and then we can kind of pick it up once you have those, and we can go down the list of of each of those. And I can say, okay, here's what I think is strong about that one. Here's what you know. Uh, and then we can kind of. And I think that's probably the next step. The other thing that, that's uh, a really good idea, and this came from uh, Blake Snyder's book, you know, the Save the Cat guy. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, he talks about irony. <laughs> that, that a really good movie concept often has that sense of irony, so that um, so that you know the the protagonist has this goal, he's blocked by the antagonist, and and there's a sense of irony that happens with it, and it's and it's all in there within that one log line, um, and it makes it and that irony makes people kind of lean in, or makes the idea almost expand or bloom in your mind just as a freaking concept, you know. Um, and, and, and the, other, the other important thing I guess we could kind of end with is getting a really great concept to start with. It, it not only does it make your, uh, your screenwriting process much stronger and more, and more sort of sturdy and, and, and easier, when it comes time to actually get people to watch the film or get people involved in the film and you need to pitch it to them uh, by email or by by verbally or wherever, or when you're done with it, you're getting people to download it or wherever. If you can pitch it in one that that one concept that you loved from the beginning, if it's a really good concept at the end, it makes the marketing easier. It makes attaching people easier. It makes everything from from writing to making the movie literally two to three times, if not more, easier. If the concept itself is really good, so right. that's that's my pitch, my passionate pitch for concepting. Um, I think you're off to a really good start because I feel like you're you. you, you you really got into some sense of, 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 of your passions around these, these movies that you loved. You got a sense of what was making them stand out. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the time is, time is right. I think you should go, go off on your own and, and, and think about some ideas and don't worry about any ideas being bad or whatever because sometimes an idea comes out and most of it's terrible, but there's a piece of it that actually is, is pretty good. And if you want to put that down and pitch it, then maybe, you know, uh, maybe that can grow into something that does, boom, then set up as a great concept. Okay, so now what you heard was my initial session with Brooks Elms as he helped me start over from the conceptual stage or the concepting stage, but starting with films that I liked and what, why I connected to them. I, it's, he's helping me get back to the root of why I want to make movies in the first place or what kind of stories I want to tell. And you will have your own you know, reasons and your own, um, obviously, personal connection to movies. But hopefully you can use this process to start there and then figure out um, what kind of concepts you can create from this uh, initial session or this initial uh, step. So what you're going to hear now is a short 15-minute session that I had with my brain trust group where I presented the concepts that I just started to write about. And so that's what you're going to hear. And uh, hopefully it'll give you an idea of how you can go about writing your story, uh, finding your concepts. You know, before the idea is like before you even write, you know, the script or go too far down the path is stop and think about the concepting stage, whether or not it is as solid as you think it is. Anyhow. So here it is, the 15 minutes uh, with my brain trust where I present these ideas after, you know, having my session with Brooks Elms. So he reached out to me. We did an initial session where he he essentially asked me, like, let's go back to, like, the concepting stage. Because, I mean, I remember, Buff, you talked about this before. You were like, 
my script might be at the stage where I might need to go back to the concept. And that's what, you know, uh, Ferrari, you mentioned it too about, you know, getting backup, like having, what if you could connect with your dead relatives and have backup and things like that. So I'm at this concepting stage. So I just wanted to use my short minute, the short time here to just show you some of these concepts just to get your initial reaction. And I'll show you what he did for me, which was the initial interview was that he asked me, tell me five of your favorite films. They don't have to be in the same genre that you're trying to write. So um, I shared the five favorite films with him. And then we discussed deeper, you know, what was unique about that? What is that, you know, it was just a little bit deeper discussions of what it meant to me personally. Then he asked me, what are three favorite horror films or the, or the same genre that I'm trying to write? And so I gave those sort of uh, examples. And then he, the goal, the, my, my, my task is that I'm supposed to just brainstorm concept ideas, like go back to the drawing board and just to see if there's something in the concepting area in terms of writing log lines um, that doesn't like spark, that jumps off the page, like that's what you should be writing. And this is sort of a playoff of Blake Snyder, Save the Cats type stuff where each log line, you're trying to find that irony, you know? So there's, an, the, there's irony in each um, sentence. So with that, I'm gonna share with you guys this um, my screen. <laughs> so my five, five air films. And then these are the log lines that I wrote for my five favorite films, trying to find the irony in each of the stories. So a sheriff who has a fear of the ocean must hunt down a man eating shark before it kills more people on the Island. Obviously that's jaws. So the shark, irony, shark, Sharknado. Yes. So the irony, the irony is that the hero, the protagonist, has a fear of the ocean, and yet he has to enter the ocean to kill the beast. Um, an undersized underdog must overcome the greatest of obstacles to have a chance at playing one game for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Rudy. Still tear up every fucking time. Yeah. Fucking Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Rudy. So there's the irony is like someone who's completely not, you know, meant to play football is, you know, that's the story. Um, an envious music composer inadvertently kills his brilliant rival when he secretly commissions him to write an opera for his dead father who has haunted him with guilt, Amadeus. So the irony there is um, someone who, who's envious of his rival, you know, actually pays him to write probably one of his greatest operas and then kills him in the process. <laughs> A man must find his way back in time to find his one true love somewhere in time. Obviously... Now we're dealing with supernatural and there's an added element of time travel. And then when a mysterious monolith appears at the dawn of man, and then much later when mankind has revolved to the land on, to land on the moon, it sends humanity off on a mission to find the next monolith. However, mankind must outrace the artificial intelligence it has created before it evolves and reaches the next monolith. 2001, a space odyssey. So these, these are just films that have always, that I've always come back to because I just love them. And the process of writing out these log lines, you know, now, you know, trying to find that irony or find that uniqueness of them. And then the three favorite horror films of the same genre, I wrote, a suburban American family must find their daughter who has been abducted by a ghostly entity and pulled into another dimension somewhere inside the house, poltergeist. And then a woman with psychic abilities must fight off De her demons in order to help a family whose lives are threatened by an evil entity. That's both the conjuring one and two, like the kind of the same theme. And then the other one is a father must journey into the land of dead spirits called the further to save his son's soul from the clutches of a demonic being. And that's both insidious chapter one and two. So it's interesting because when we talked about these films, he mentioned that, um, you know, both the conjuring, uh, conjuring and the insidious, <coughs> insidious may not have the strongest sort of ironic logline, and that shows you sort of the power of the director, like how good you know how good he is in that genre. Um, anyhow, so here are these concepts. This is the concept brainstorming. I'm just going to throw these out to you guys, and then I'll I'll stop, and then just I just get your reactions, just like gut reactions from it, because either they're working or they're not working, and I got to hit the, the the writing board again. Um, concept one, an angel must prevent a living person from being killed, that person being her former self. Concept two, a vengeful spirit attempts to possess a young girl only to, only to discover that she is protected by her dead twin sister's soul. Concept three, a young girl who suffers from 
Myctophobia, fear of the dark, must fight off a demonic spirit who only attacks in the dark. Concept four, an asthmatic young girl alone in the house must connect with her dead twin sister's soul to help fight off a vengeful spirit before it possesses her. Concept five, a troubled young boy who witnesses the death of his sister from the hands of a vengeful spirit. Discovering that he is also marked to die in one week's time, the boy must enlist a group of misfitted paranormal enthusiasts to help him enter the other world to save his sister's soul and his own. So, um, I can bring these back up, but... My my favorite's four. Number four. I and I, I really like the uh, I like the first one, Scott. Okay. I, I felt like um, just as a general note, some of these are a little bit repetitive. Just as a first, um, and 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 perhaps it's because you were so succinct with the first one in your um, execution of the actual mm-hmm. concept um, that there's not a lot to get lost on guys like me with the shortest attention span. <laughs> and I feel like you really hit it for some th- for some reason that really struck me as as a really unique concept. Okay, and, and there's some irony built into it too because what happens if the angel prevents themselves from dying? Do they do they cease to exist? That's weird. Yeah, yeah, it's a little heady. <laughs> yeah, but I like it. It's, it's, meta. My, it's meta. Meta. There you go. <laughs> and, um, and obviously, it's filtered through my own. Um, you know, all of us. It's filtered through our own uh, yeah. biases. So, like, you know, it's like imagining if you were trying to read through, like, what you're going to watch tonight. Uh, uh, Bullets and Buff, what do you have any ideas between the five concepts? Definitely number four. Four, okay. My my only thing with the number four was asthmatic. I'm not sure where the payoff was. I'm sure that Mm -hmm. there's a huge payoff, but um, I don't know if if that's something that would strike me as, like, oh, I want to watch this asthmatic young girl. I mean, I just assume that, um, you know, a young girl alone in a house is scary on its own accord. Yeah, yeah. But that's just so. Well, yes, I'm just imagining. I mean, these are just concepts. I mean, I imagine Scott's going to, again, evolve these log lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, you're, we're trying – The that's, I think, the idea of this, this um, brainstorming session is simply to go – Nah, there's something there. Like, you know, dig deeper in there, that kind of thing. Yeah, number four for me, I, I like the asthmatic young girl because I'm a visual guy, so I, yeah. I just brought it right to my head. The asthmatic thing just showed me it, a young girl's weak, but an asthmatic young girl is even weaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, 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 so she's, that's why I, I gravitated to it first of all because there's a weakness there. And I'm like, she's more in peril and she's more defenseless. That's, so that's that one true. little word, asthmatic, that's what, that, that's what drew me to it. As opposed to the other guys, and, and also this is the cleanest one. For me, it just yeah. went straight to the point of what it was. So you, you established there was a young girl, a weak young girl on top of that, because they're strong young women. Yeah. So this is a weak young girl alone in a house, dead twin sister to fight off of it. I mean, it's like it's, a straight, it's as straight as, as an arrow as you can get about what this concept is. While like five was a little bit more mirandering a little bit. It got uh-huh. a little too convoluted. Um, and then I just like this one. I, just, I thought it was just the most... Uh, the uh, the most direct. Yeah, I, I think there's something in five here. I think you could just um, there's almost, stuff in there. there's fun. There's something fun in that one with the mystery. yeah. You could almost get rid of the first sentence or combine it with the second. I would say that, mm. that one can be distilled down to yeah, its, yeah. a little but, bit more. But then the thing, if this is a horror movie, the group of misfit paranormal enthusiasts is funny to me. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it turns into Ghostbusters. Uh, in my mind, when I read that, I was like, Got okay, it. so this is not a horror movie anymore. This is kind of like, maybe it's a funny horror movie. It's not, it's, it opens up a look, uh, it opens up that one, that one little sentence opens up, uh, the world of comedy to me. Gotcha. While, while concept gotcha. four is you, there's no arguing what that is. Okay. And, uh, I don't know. Buff, Buff is always good. If he's still there. <laughs> is he still there? I can't see. Cause I'm looking the at pressure's my on. Um, so yeah, I agree that four is good because of um, the simplicity. But the thing that I always think of, and I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily like to think about a screenplay in terms of the concept. I like to think in terms of the premise, you know. Okay. And it might sound like it's the same thing, but in terms of what I would connect to with a story, and even though that I think that is something that could work, the thing that I would dig a little deeper for is the universal concept behind the story versus what the actual details of that is. So this is the details of this story. Um, but what I'm looking for is like, I don't, I don't necessarily connect to these because we're not connecting with like a universal kind of 
um, fear concept. So when you put like Jaws, mm -hmm. there's like a universal fear there, you know, and I don't know if that necessarily works for this, but yeah. that, that's the only thing that I would say about it. I think, I think every one of these stories could potentially work, you know, fours is the strongest. Yeah. But, um, you know, I would just say tapping into the universality. And I mean, I'll, I'll use my own thing as, as an example, not that it's a perfect example, but when I was trying to put together a short film, um, I was just trying to focus on something that every single person that watches it will watch it and say, I know what that feels like. You know, I know what it feels like to, to wake up and, and what would that feel like for that to happen? So I, I think that's good. I mean, the, the concept number four is good, but think about the, um, the universality of the story that you're telling, because as, as I've always, you know, put on the podcast and everything, we're always retelling stories and there should be a long kind of a long line of storytelling that goes behind what the story is with that, even though the details are different. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now this has been really helpful. I, I just wanted to be able to have an opportunity to sort of record this little nugget and then, <laughs> well, this will go into like the podcast. Uh, cause this is like the series cause I'm, oh, I'm up. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. No, no, it's all good. All right. I mean, like, it's, it's everybody's, uh, uh, feedback. Cause then what it is is then, um, then, um, the Brooks who I'm working with, he's will go through it. And like, cause it gives me a chance to like rework these and I, I'm just, Can I make a yeah. recommendation Scott, yeah. real quick. I really got a lot and, and nobody seems to ever mention this book. Maybe it's, I don't know what the deal is, but, um, I think Pilar Alessandra's book, mm. um, the coffee table screenwriter might be something you get a lot out of because okay. that does exactly what I think you like doing, which is kind of workshopping ideas. Yeah. And it does things like taking, for example, the end of your film and then working backwards through a lot of different kind of um, little activities that you can do to start fleshing out your story, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I remember reading that just before I did the interview with her and um, I was just kind of gushing about how cool it was to be able to, to, you know, work on your screenplay starting from the end and then you know, take you through all the different things that happen to get to that ending, you know, and yeah. it's just all these different kind of hacks so that you can start seeing your story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The whole concepting idea of what we're doing here is it's, uh, you have Tim Ferriss is famous because he put out Google ads for the, the different names of the four hour work week because they tested it, you know, like he would test things, products that didn't exist because he just wanted to see what, you know, what rose to the top. And so it's almost like this. It's like uh, the movie Clown. Uh, now the guy who's directing, um, whatever, the next Spider-Man movie? Um, he, um, you know, that, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Eli Roth uh, picked up because he, he made a joke trailer about a new movie from Eli Roth called Clown. And it got such, it got such um, um, viral, uh, viral hits on it. And then it got to Eli Roth's attention that he actually met with the guys who made it. And then they developed the, the feature film Clown that came out. And that same guy got the job to make the, direct the next Spider-Man movie. So it's interesting because you can do these little things to sort of test out the market. You know, uh, oh, wait, we're talking about Robert Rodriguez, Machete. It was like the biggest faux, you know, fake trailer there was, but people wanted to see it. It's like testing out the market. So this is, this is interesting. The concept idea, like you said, I'll, I'll dig deeper. I love Pilar, so I'll check out her book. Um, but yeah, it's all really helpful. I can't thank you guys enough for just taking the time. But so. you know, at the end of the day, you need to pick something that you really just go, yes. oh, this, I mean, you know, you're going to have to be a, a fucking cheerleader for like a year, you know, being like, <laughs> this is the best movie. And there's going to probably be a lot of people that go, I don't get it. I think this is stupid. It's a piece of shit. I mean, that's, and, and it could be the best movie ever made, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter what we say. I mean, you can bounce ideas off us all of us all day, you know, but I mean, you have to really kind of be like this. I want to tell you this story and I'm going to tell you why, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be something that's worth your time, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, Thank you guys so much. No, 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 Buff. Uh, like you brought this up to me before. Like, like you could tell. Like, there's, there's something deeper that I gotta tap into to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, I like think you definitely, line. you definitely have a really good screenwriter in you, and it's. I mean, I've I've been on the same journey, man. I mean, I've written 
so many screenplays that were just kind of like, okay, I'm kind of copying this or I'm copying that or I'm trying to do this. And then once you finally hit your kind of nerve, like you get right into, it's, it's like there's a lot of figuring out who you are, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you put that self, that kind of stuff into your writing, and you you can feel it. It's like you're you're attached to the the page, you know. Yeah. And you can manipulate people, and you know where they are in the story and everything. And it's hard to do because you only get those moments. Rarely, you end up writing thousands of pages, and you whittle it down to you know just the best stuff, like you're you know doing a sculpture or something. But I think you're on the you're on the right road of kind of like finding your voice and, and feeling more confident. I think. Very cool. Well, whatever happens today, this has been super helpful for me. So that concludes my very special episode, or this very special episode, at least part one of it, of how to find your next movie concept. And as you saw with Brooks, he wanted me to start from the beginning of like why I even love movies in the first place and why I love these particular movies. And then use that as an inspiration and a foundation for coming up with concepting ideas for my next film. And then the cool thing was to be able to share this or have a sounding board with my brain trust that I put together to see whether or not what I came up with, you know, had any impact or not. So uh, hopefully you found some value in that or maybe you're stuck writing your film or maybe you're writing something that isn't, re you know, responding to readers. So you want to be able to go back and rework it. And hopefully these techniques uh, help. And as mentioned, if you want to get hold of Brooks, Brooks Elms, and contact him yourself for, you know, your own, you know, consultation, then actually just email me at scott at filmtrooper.com and I will make a personal invitation or personal, uh, what do you call it, um, introduction uh, on email to, to, to Brooks for, for you. So again, just email me at scott at filmtrooper.com and I'll set that up for you. Okay, with that said, I look forward to seeing you in the second part of this um, series of how to find your next movie concept. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me and listen and support Film Trooper. It's very, very much appreciated. And I will see you next time. Film Trooper, filmmaking freedom for the independent.